Hi, Stephen. Hello, everyone. Hi, Yolanda. Welcome back to our third edition of our special COVID-19 related podcasts. Yes. So Stephen, in the evolving COVID-19 healthcare setting, I know that physicians are finding themselves having more and more discussions, uh, possibly with patients they don't know at all, about goals of care. That's right. And you know, in addition, we may end up by virtue of the fact that we're being deployed in some instances to units where we don't usually work, find ourselves actually needing to have such discussions that we're actually not used to having at all. Mm-hmm. And while we know it may be difficult and intimidating, these conversations for sure are tough at the best of times, not having these conversations early before they become necessary actually robs our individual patients of control and choice and might result in medical care that isn't reflective of what's most important to them. That's right. So in this podcast, everyone, we wanted to provide you with an overview of some of the issues we see arising out of our medical legal cases, especially around end of life uh, care, critical illness care. And hopefully we'll be able to help you identify how you might be most effective in having those critical illness discussions about goals of care, especially if this is not something that you're used to doing. For sure. So following the principle of a person-centered approach that aims to include the patient's loved ones and the care team when feasible can help physicians feel that they've assisted their patient in making the most appropriate decisions possible. So we have three take-home messages uh, for you today. Uh, The first one being that it's important to communicate with families and the care team about goals of care early, effectively, routinely, and repeatedly. And our second point would be that it's important to have an approach to ask patients about goals of care. Having this approach is going to make you more likely to do so and might save you time. And finally, we want to impress the importance of normalizing the discussion. Normalizing the discussions can actually help reduce patient misunderstandings, fear, and discomfort and result in overall improved satisfaction with the care that's being received. So in essence, these end of life discussions are actually part of the job of every physician, but end of life and critical illness communication is still challenging, even for the most experienced physicians who have these discussions every day. Right, so preparing tools to start or structure or even troubleshoot these difficult conversations can actually make it less scary for everyone and and actually help us be more likely to have these conversations, especially when time may be short uh, in in the COVID settings. Mm -hmm. So planning to have these conversations in a timely uh, patient-centered setting can help the process move along and make it easier for patients and may reduce our medical legal risk. You know, Yolanda, patients and families are more likely to be more satisfied with the care they receive when they feel heard and involved in the decisions. Yes, for sure. So take, for example, uh, Stephen, uh, a situation that's not uncommon in many of our college complaints. We have a patient who's admitted to an acute care hospital with a straightforward, potentially reversible, life-threatening illness that rapidly deteriorates. Our patient has previously told us they do not want to pursue supportive care and heroic measures if survival is unlikely, and their family had agreed. So patient is is provided with comfort care measures and passes away comfortably. After, the family files a college complaint alleging the care was poor. The college had no criticism of the care per se. 
saying that it was consistent with the patient's wishes. But there was some criticism of the physician in having fallen short of having had optimal communication with that patient's family, especially when their condition worsened. Right. So you're essentially you're highlighting a common theme in critical illness or end-of-life care issues is that the issues are often not about the medicine. They're about the communication, mm -hmm. right? And, and this highlights the importance of keeping all the players apprised of the situation and making it clear actually how the care is aligned with the patient's advanced directive. And sometimes we may take for granted that is clear and apparent when in fact it's not. And it's not, and, co and complaints like this do highlight that for us. So a reminder that because the changes in clinical status can occur uh, quite rapidly, it's so important to plan for frequent updates on how things are going, particularly now in the COVID context, which may well mean having to discuss what will and won't be possible uh, depending on the availability of resources and how this might diverge from a patient or a family's expectations. Right. And you know, we know that it's just not as an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to address. But one of those most frequent issues we hear from families and patients in our college complaints or even in our lawsuits uh, is the lack of availability of the MRP, the most responsible physician, to discuss the patient's situation, to hear their concerns and explain to them how it is that things are going. Mm -hmm. So while we know that the care is delivered many times in teaching hospitals or even in non-teaching institutions by a team where a number of individuals participate in the care, there is an MRP who may delegate a number of things, but these discussions are particularly important to be held by the MRP and providing that opportunity to review the state of affairs, how things are going, and how the care aligns with the patient's advanced directives is a critically important issue. Right. Making the time for this can make all the difference. And you know, it's made all the more important in the context of potentially limited access to resources, such as medications like propofol, mm -hmm. for instance. Uh, it's been in the news recently. Equipment like ventilators, um, palliative care physicians, or, or even facilities, the yeah. appropriate rooms for looking after the patients. So we've all seen how fluid the mm -hmm. situation around COVID has been evolved and, and, and how one region is completely different from another and how very difficult it is to predict where things are going. Yeah. And it may be that you'll never have to address resource issues as part of the goals of care discussions that you have, but keeping your eye on that ball will be important to help you feel prepared to do so if and when the time comes. And patients and families are likely going to be aware and understand the limitations, you know, through the media and news reports and so on, but that communication and adaptability on our part are key, especially when deviations from a previously agreed to or expected care plan have to take place because That's of right. resource shortages. Well, look, Yolanda, we're, we're already quite far into this podcast. We haven't even gotten to take point. home point one. <laughs> so, so perhaps it's a good place to do that. Um, and, and that message was that we, we should keep in mind the importance of communicating with families and, and patients and other caregivers about goals of care early. And I don't mean early in the morning here. I mean <laughs> early in, in the illness or in the situation effectively, routinely, and repeatedly even. Mm -hmm. 
And while we've used the term end of life uh, at several points here in the podcast, it may be somewhat of a misnomer. It doesn't imply that we should wait until a patient is clearly at the end of their life to have these discussions. Critical illnesses in practice or in theory are an optimal time to bring out and highlight these care goals as any new serious illness or diagnosis. And in the setting of COVID, this might ideally mean discussing it with any high-risk patient in the event they contract the illness. Right, before they get it, Mm -hmm. right? Having these discussions when the threat is theoretical and not imminent is likely to be easier on everyone, including us, right, as the physicians. That's been that's been my experience with my cancer patients, having that discussion long before it's on, it's really on the radar. Right, now, don't get us wrong though. We're not suggesting you start calling patients in your practice out of no. the blue to find out what their wishes are should they get COVID-19. That'll be a bit startling. Not at all. But that said, it may be wise to raise the issue with them during visits for other issues, especially if they have a comorbidity that does put them at higher risk for serious COVID-19 related complications. And in that sense, you know, even though you may not end up being the one looking after them, should they get COVID Mm -hmm. and require admission, your efforts to actually raise the issue with them ahead of time may at least have primed them to consider the implications of the diagnosis for their care. Absolutely. And we recognize that many frail or older patients may not actually want aggressive life-prolonging measures, and they may prioritize quality of life and actually being able to say goodbye to their families. Frank communication is so important. Absolutely. So explaining the impact of their comorbidity on the likelihood of of surviving a COVID-19 or other critical illness can actually allow them to make an informed choice as to their level of care. And whatever their decision is, many will at least understand the process better and hopefully feel included and heard. Right. You know, patients listen to the news. They know COVID-19 has a high likelihood of poor outcomes in patients with comorbidities. So looking at it, not as something awkward to raise, but rather as an opportunity to provide guidance on the proverbial elephant in the room, Mm -hmm. so to speak, may actually help you be more comfortable in raising the issue. Mm -hmm. It's already there. You're not really raising anything new. You're allowing permission to talk about it and explain it because people may actually have a misconception of what their risk and their comorbidities are. Um, But it's important to raise it and allow our patients and their families to participate in that shared decision-making. Right. And, you know, it's important to point out, I think here, Yolanda, that the purpose of an early conversation is not to convince anyone to seek a particular kind Mm -hmm. of care over another, a least invasive care, for instance. You know, quite to the contrary. Mm -hmm. It's about setting the context for making the decision that's right for them, isn't it? Yeah. We shouldn't avoid the conversation assuming we'll have to convince patients to do something or anything, that would be very adversarial approaching it that way. Absolutely. So starting with goals of care, raising potential resource issues as an additional consideration, as well as the impact of any comorbidities they shoulder, doing so early may actually actually help us uh, and help our patients align their values with the reality of what might and might not be possible during the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, and so that's part one, right? That's addressing with the patient and getting them to think about what they'd like to do if they were to contract COVID-19, but before they get ill. Mm-hmm. And if those stars align, then you're also able to continue being the primary physician tasked with looking after them when they're actually ill, then part two comes into play. And that's about having the discussions about what is or is not possible at that particular time. And that's 
quite difficult to plan for. And as we've seen over the first eight weeks of this pandemic, information situations change at an incredibly fast pace. And what was available yesterday may no longer be available today. And what you thought wouldn't be available has actually not been as scarce as we anticipated. That's right. So so getting back to a case example, Yolanda, the issue at play there, if you'll recall, right, was that mm-hmm. the family didn't have a line of sight into why decisions were being made for their loved ones and how they actually were consistent with previously expressed wishes. Yeah. And so the takeaway or learnable point here is that frank, frequent, routine, and repeated, not one-off, meetings and discussions with patients and their loved ones to explain the situation, the options as they are on that day, can make the whole difference between perception of excellent versus negligent care. Right. And and it's all in the relationships you build, right? Mm-hmm. It's the feeling of control and choice and being heard that will help the patient and their family feel valued. And hopefully reduce the risk of medical legal issues for the physician. Provided those conversations you have are also documented. Absolutely. And while we recognize this can be a difficult time with time constraints that we're all uh, subject to and the fact that it's unlikely that families are actually going to be present there in person to meet with you. Right. In, in, in the context of the pandemic, the family actually won't, won't be there, most mm-hmm. likely won't be there because mm-hmm. of the limitations on visiting. Yep. So trying to plan ahead for that gets into our take home message number two, having an approach to ask about your patient's goal of care values, their fears, their expectations, may make you more likely to do it and might save time in the long run. Right, and you know the, that makes me think of a lot of the resources that are available. You're talking about fears and expectations. That yep. gets back to the, the Fife model mm-hmm. uh, of, of exploring people's feelings, people's ideas about their illness, people, their function, as well as their expectations for the care. And while the association doesn't endorse any particular approach per se, there is a Canadian website, uh, www.planwellguide.com, that may be worth a look to get some ideas on how to build an approach to these situations that suits your values. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of good resources out there, Yolanda. Mm-hmm. Some some of them have videos that you can watch to get a little bit of coaching. Some of them even have talking maps, like like roadmaps. They're they're essentially scripts, if you will, for, um, for these difficult conversations. Right, and these are all designed to actually help you be more comfortable and and, and better care for patients and families. And this is well within the the context of shared care, shared decision making, and we can find this just googling it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it, it, There really is quite a wealth of resources out, out there. there. And finally, our third take-home point was that using normalizing language can help put patients at ease and facilitate the sharing of opinions. So, for example, using the third person. So when people with COVID get worse, they have to make decisions about their care. They tell me that it's less stressful when those discussions happen earlier. Right, or, or even things like... Most people tell me they don't want to burden their families by requiring them to make those decisions without knowing their wishes. So we recognize that people are likely to want to be reassured that they or their loved ones aren't being singled out. I'm having this discussion with all my patients right now. Right. So normalizing family feelings, like many family members feel helpless in these situations. How do you feel? could be helpful. Absolutely. So in the end, you know, these goals of care discussions are not really made all that different by COVID. 
they're just happening more often out of necessity. And they might be influenced by resource issues. So in fact, COVID might present us with the opportunity to preemptively have these discussions. Right, indeed. What may be different is that you as the physician may not be used to having those discussions with your patients by virtue of your usual scope of practice or by the fact that COVID is forcing you into those kinds of situations that you normally wouldn't be taking part in. Mm -hmm. So we hope that these few tips today might help you feel more comfortable having these discussions, knowing a bit more about the issues at play in the typical end-of-life cases that are likely to impact patient and family satisfaction with care, and thus your medical legal risk. Right. You know, Yolanda, if there's one key message I think we could share, it'd be the power to just sit in silence. Mm -hmm. Allowing patients and families time to process and think of questions, um, it's okay not to fill that space it actually will feel longer than it actually will be. Yeah. And while that space is long uh, face-to-face, recognizing that the family's not likely to be in the room during uh, COVID-related care, you're likely to be having some of these conversations on the telephone, which will probably be extra awkward. So you might want to acknowledge that silence explicitly on the phone, validate it, and attempt to ease the family's comfort with it, and allow them permission and time to think and process what's just been discussed. Right. Well, Yolanda, I think if we don't want to be interrupted by the end of the podcast music, we're going to have to start wrapping this up here. Okay. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today to talk about this important issue. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Just a reminder to uh, visit the COVID-19 hub on the CMPA website. Um, And as well, please call us anytime to discuss uh, specific issues to your day-to-day. Our podcasts are not meant to be all-encompassing, but rather touch on highlights that are meant as food for thought. Hopefully these highlights are going to be helpful to you. We hope so. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. These learning materials are for general educational purposes only and are not intended to provide professional medical or legal advice, nor to constitute a standard of care for Canadian healthcare providers.